You know, today uh, for our time in God's Word, we will be covering the remainder of chapter 14 in the book of Matthew. You know, I've been blessed as we've been making our way just systematically through the Word of God, uh, that, ha- that God has been speaking to our hearts, and, and He seems to have the right portion of Scripture uh, for what we're dealing with each and every week. You know, last week we, we talked about how do we, what do we do when unexpected curves come our way, and how Christ, when heard the news of uh, the loss of His cousin, he wanted to get away and seek the Father. You know, and I think today uh, we're going to get into a portion of Scripture that I think will minister to many of us who um, are just going maybe through some storms in life. You know, and we're going to see a message that I've entitled Stormy Seas, just to how God will use this portion of Scripture to hopefully minister to our hearts. We're going to look at Jesus, His actions towards His disciples, that they were really lost at sea, uh, at a loss for themselves at least. And we'll see one particular disciple uh, do something that no other has ever done. And uh, we'll wrap up our time seeing just the Lord's healing come upon those through a simple touch. And so, uh, Matthew chapter 14, uh, let's read this morning's portion and and just pray for God's blessings on our time this morning. Actually, we invite you to stand as we read God's Word, just in honor of His Word. Uh, We see that uh, example for us uh, in uh, Ezra, as they read from the scrolls, they would stand in in honor of the the Word of God. And so we want to do that as well as we read uh, this morning's portion of Scripture. So... Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. I'm going to read all the way through verse 33, but we will get all the way to the end of verse 36 through our time this morning. But for starting off here, we'll just do verse 33. Matthew 14, verse 22 reads this. Immediately Jesus made His disciples get into the boat and go before Him to the other side while He sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But... When he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we do pray just for our time this morning in Your Word, that as we uh, just go through it, Lord, that You administer to our hearts. Lord, we want to hear from You. And, and I hope and, and, and would encourage everybody to come with an expectation this morning that You are going to speak to them. 
And Lord, that we would be uh, excited about hearing from you this morning. And so, Lord, we pray that your word would speak to our hearts. Lord, that you would use it to mold mold us and shape us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we, we also want to pray and lift up to you the Nanan family. Lord, we uh, can't fathom the loss um, that those loved ones are experiencing at this time. And, and so we want to lift them up to you. We pray that your comforting spirit would be uh, upon them. Lord, we pray that you would use uh, believers uh, in you just to, to come alongside and to uh, weep with those who weep and, and mourn with those who mourn and, and Lord, to be there as a source of encouragement. And so, Father, we lift them to you. And Lord, I, I think when these types of things happen, we, we look at our families a little bit closer and, and want to lift up them and pray for them as well. And, and so, Father, we do that as well. We want to just pray for our own families that you would protect us. Lord, that uh, as we live our lives here on earth, that we would use each and every day to bring honor and glory to you and that we would live for you with all that we have. Lord, bless our time this morning. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys may have a seat. We pick up our account from Matthew right after Jesus' miraculous feeding of the 5,000 recorded for us in verses 13 through 21. And if you were with us last week, you'll recall that Jesus and His disciples, they were looking for an opportunity to get away from the multitudes. And seeking, they were seeking some quiet time uh, in a deserted place. Jesus had just heard of the loss of his cousin, John the Baptist, and and the disciples had just returned from being sent out two by two. And Jesus decided the best thing for all of them was just to get away and and get some rest and to pray. You'll recall that their efforts to get away from the multitudes were not successful as people were able to race across the seashore and actually beat Jesus and his disciples to a deserted place that now was filled with thousands of Jesus had compassion on them. And even though the disciples wanted to send them away, Jesus used the disciples to minister to the needs of the multitudes and feeding them from five loaves, five barley loaves, and two fish. After all had eaten and were filled, the disciples picked up the fragments. And this is where our account begins in verse 22. We're told that immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. You know, there seems to be, as you read it, a sense of urgency in Jesus sending his disciples away. What happened that caused Jesus to make his disciples immediately get into a boat and head towards the other side of the lake? Matthew's account doesn't tell us, but John's does tell us more details. And so John's account in chapter 6 of his gospel, it tells us that Jesus actually perceived that the people were going to come and take him by force and make him their new king. And the people saw how Jesus was able to heal the sick, how he was able to provide enough sustenance to feed thousands with just a couple fish and a few loaves. And they wanted to take him right then and there and make him their king. 
Perhaps Jesus didn't want the disciples to be tempted into joining with the multitudes in their desire to have Jesus as their political king. Remember that the idea is not the type of king that Jesus did come as a king, but not the kind of king that they were looking to have. One that would set them free from the Roman oppression that they were under. Many of the disciples still did not fully understand and comprehend His coming and believed that Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom. We know this because we actually read of guys fighting amongst each other. Who's going to be the greatest when Jesus enters into His kingdom? Who's going to be there? And we actually have an account of two of the guys jockeying for positions to be the right-hand and left-hand man when He comes into His kingdom. And so we, we realize that they are not understanding completely this kingdom that's coming. And so uh, they had this idea like these other people. And so It's likely that in order to avoid what would have been a very tempting situation for some of the disciples to join with the multitudes and, yeah, let's make him king right now, he decided it was necessary for them to be sent away to the other side of the lake. You know, God does that sometimes in our life. When He sees things coming our way that that may prove to be overwhelmingly tempting, He will provide a way of escape from temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13 tells us that, No temptation has overtaken you except such as as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So Jesus provided this way of escape from the temptation that would have come before the disciples. Jesus, here, He provides really the answer on how to deal with temptation. I think a lot of us struggle with temptation, and He gives us the answer on how we are to deal with it. We are to get away from it. We are to flee from it. Don't allow yourself to be tempted. Get away as fast as you can. The Scriptures encourage us to flee certain things. Things that are a cause for temptation in our lives. We are to flee sexual immorality, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 6.18. It tells us that we are to flee idolatry in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14. That we are to flee from the pursuit of riches and the love of money. 1 Timothy 6, 9-11 just talks about how we need to be uh, not seeking after riches and not allowing just that love of money to be uh, in our hearts because we need to flee away from that stuff. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, it tells us that we need to flee from youthful lusts. There's no shame in running away from temptation. A great many have become casualties because they didn't flee or because they thought that they could handle it. I think Joseph is one of the best examples of someone who fleed from temptation. When Potiphar's wife was there and, and grabbing at him and saying, Come lie with me. He's, he bolts. He jets out the door. She's like rips his clothes off him as he's just getting out of there as fast as he can. And you know what? I think we'd do well for ourselves if we would learn from that lesson. When temptation comes that we would flee. Jesus shows us here that it's best to just flee and get away when temptation comes. 
I also, having the disciples avoid a potentially awkward situation may not have been the only reason for sending the disciples across the sea by themselves. I want to point out another thing. I see another reason for why Jesus would send the disciples away. Jesus saw here an opportunity for further in, to further instruct His disciples as well. We've noted that as we've been going through our study of the book of Matthew, that a switch in priorities has taken place. And how Jesus is now focusing more upon preparing His disciples for His coming departure and the subsequent ministry that will take place after He has ascended into heaven. In the feeding of the 5,000, we saw how Jesus was giving to them a beautiful example of what ministry would look like. Having compassion towards others. Desiring to meet the needs of others. Taking what little we have and giving it to Jesus so that He can bless it and break it and make it able to be used to bless others. He was teaching them, instructing them by this example about what ministry would be like. And here I see another teaching opportunity for the Lord. In this scenario, He teaches them really a few lessons about storms and about difficulties in life. I know that many of you have gone through storms in life, and I imagine that there are even some here that are in the midst of a storm this very morning. Storms will come. You can be sure of that. Some have weathered the storms of life with various degrees of success, while others, they they seem to barely make it out alive. How do we handle these storms as they come? Let's consider the details of this situation to see if we can't glean what Jesus was trying to teach His disciples through this situation. The disciples, having been sent out on the sea by Jesus, have found themselves in the middle of the sea being tossed around by the waves because of a strong wind that has come across the waters. And here's the first thing that I want to point out in regards to the situation that the disciples find themselves in. They were being obedient to what Jesus told them to do and still found themselves in the midst of a storm. A life surrendered to Christ does not give to you and me a free pass from the storms of this life. Even through obedience, we will find ourselves going through rough times. God allows us to go through storms, and He has a purpose for each storm that He allows in our lives. You know, some people struggle with the thought of God sending us into and allowing us to go through storms. They believe uh, and think that since God loves us, that He shouldn't allow us to experience storms in life, that He should protect us from storms in life. But God doesn't always work that way. God does send us into situations that will be used to test us, to test our faith, to test our trust in God and our dependence upon Him. And we call these tests trials. You know, trials, they really are the opposite of temptation. It's interesting to me that Jesus, He sends the disciples away from temptation and sends them right into a trial. You know, God uses trials in our life for our good. 
He uses them to bring us closer to Him, to bring out the best in us, to make our faith stronger. Interestingly enough, Satan does the exact opposite with temptations. Satan uses temptation in our life for evil. He uses them to take us further from the Lord, to bring out the worst in us, and to make our faith weaker. Here the disciples, they they are right in the center of God's will, and yet they find themselves in the middle of the sea, struggling to keep their boat afloat. Mark's Gospel actually tells us that they were straining at the oars in Mark 6, verse 48. And John's Gospel tells us that they had only gone about three or four miles when Jesus got to them in the fourth watch of the night. John 6, verse 19 tells us that. The disciples left. Okay, we have to kind of draw back a little bit and imagine this. Okay? The disciples left as it was turning to the evening. Okay? And the fourth watch of the night is between the hours of 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Okay? And it would seem that the disciples have been struggling at the oars for at least nine hours that they've been out on this sea. You know, we showed a map last week. I didn't pull it up again because you guys said you didn't really see it very well. So I thought, oh, well, I'll put it up again. But the, the lake is the Sea of Galilee, or it's sometimes referred to as a lake, the Lake of Gennesaret, which we'll talk about a little bit later this morning. It, it's not that big. And the disciples, you know, in nine hours, they had only covered the dis- distance of three to four miles. That's less than half a mile. That's like a third of a mile an hour. Okay? A trip that should have taken them about an hour for them to go three or four miles in a rowboat. I actually looked it up. What's a normal pace for a rowboat? Anywhere from three to five miles you know, an hour is a normal pace on a rowboat. And so these guys, what should have taken them an hour, they've been lost struggling at street nine hours at least, fighting and struggling. They're rowing and rowing and they're getting nowhere. Okay? They're being tossed by the waves and, and getting nowhere. It's like, like we would say, we're spinning our wheels. We're just sitting there spinning our wheels and going nowhere. Exercising all this effort, putting all this effort in no, no progress. I imagine that this trial for the disciples had them puzzled. Why would Jesus send them off by themselves into such a strong wind, into such a, a strong storm? Where's Jesus? How come He hasn't come to to rescue them yet? They've been out there all night long. One of life's trials that we all go through is one of doubt and uncertainty. We find ourselves in situations that, that really just don't make sense to us. And we find ourselves asking questions like, Why is this happening? Or where is Jesus now that I need Him most? And God often sends us through storms that just don't make sense to us. We don't understand the way God works. And it can cause us to sometimes doubt. Consider some of the things the Lord has done in the life of His servants. We're kind of just go through. I was trying to think of different examples. And then I started kind of in the beginning. Genesis started going through. And I thought, I'm going to be here forever. So I stopped at Judges. But look through this. okay? In Genesis... We got Noah, okay? He was asked to do something that didn't make a whole lot of sense to him. I mean, if you think about it, he's like, you want me to build a boat? Uh, God, I don't know if you've heard, but 
There's not a whole lot of water around here. Also in Genesis, you've got Abraham. He was asked to do something that seemed to go against every promise God had ever given to him. Sacrifice my son. But, but God, this is the son that you promised to Sarah and I. Surely, you, you must be mistaken. This, this can't be what you want me to do. Moses, in the book of Exodus. Let me get this right. You want me to just walk right up to Pharaoh? Tell him that I'm taking his entire workforce away from him, and all you're giving to me is a stick? Joshua. Think of Joshua. God tells him what, what for him to do. Just walk, God. Just, just walk around the city. Okay. And the walls, they're just going to fall down. We're just going to walk. No, no fighting, nothing. We're just going to walk around and for, for seven days we're going to walk around and, and the walls are just going to fall down. Really? In the book of Judges, there's Gideon. 300 men. <laughs> That's all I get is 300 men. You know, God, this, this isn't golf. We're not going for the lowest number possible. The, the lowest number doesn't always win, you know. And, and you can look through the Bible and see book after book of things God told people to do that just didn't make sense. God does not give us any guarantee that we will understand why He does the things that He does to us. In fact, He actually tells us the contrary. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9 tells us that this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And, and so if you find yourself in the middle of the storm and, and you just have no idea why this is happening, we must trust and know that God has a plan and that His plan is higher than ours. One more thing I, I want to note real quick before we move on to the rest of our portion here. If you find yourself in a storm and you don't know what God is doing and you find yourself asking the question, where are you, Jesus? Where are you now that I need you most? Where are you? I'd like to point out to you where Jesus was while the disciples were in the midst of their storm. He was up on the mountain praying, interceding with the Father. Romans 8, verse 34, it tells us, It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Hebrews 9, verse 24, tells us that Christ has not entered the, the holy places made with hands, which are, are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Christ right now is in the presence of the Father at His very right hand making intercession for us. In fact, Hebrews 7.25 tells us that He just doesn't intercede from time to time when He feels like it. No, it says that He always lives to make intercession for them in referencing to us. 
Next time that you find yourself wondering where Jesus is when you need Him most, know this. He is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. Let's move on. Verse 25, it says, Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw Him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. After seemingly endless amounts of rowing and trying to reach the other side of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus finally comes out to the disciples walking on water. And when the disciples saw Jesus, it tells us that they were troubled. That word means to be in trepidation, to have tremors come upon you. Okay? They were literally shaking in their boots, or maybe their sandals, actually, their sandals probably. Shaking in their sandals. They were troubled, and they believed Jesus to be a ghost that was coming to get them. And, and they cried out for fear. That word cried out, it means to, to make an in, inarticulate cry, clamor, or explanation. Basically, they screamed and hollered for fear of their life. I actually wasn't going to say they screamed like a girl, but my wife said, don't say that. But I kind of just did, so hopefully you're not offended. But they just... Grown men, they are lost in fear. They are trembling and they are screaming out, hollering out. They are just panicked. They're freaking out or just, uh, you know, what's going on? I think sometimes we read that we don't really grasp these 12 grown men and, and their response to seeing what came upon them on these waters. But Jesus tells the disciples, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. You know, that, that phrase actually, be of good cheer, it's actually one word in the original Greek writing. And it's only used in the scriptures, uh, the only time it's used in the scriptures is when spoken with a sense of encouragement. That one word. You know, and Jesus, he, he comes to them while in the midst of their storm and he speaks encouragement to them. You know, and an encouraging word from the Lord is able to meet so many needs. The phrase, it is I, is actually the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew phrase, I am. You know, Jesus can encourage the disciples because He is the great I am. He is God, and He is able. And lastly, Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Jesus was there to, to comfort their fears, to put them aside, allow them to lay them to rest. And, you know, as I look at Jesus' words to His disciples, I see great comfort for us as well. And that when we go through these various storms of life, Jesus' words, be of good cheer and do not be afraid, they're for us as well. Why should we be of good cheer and not be afraid when life brings unexpected twists and turns? I think first and foremost, the first reason that we should be of good cheer and not be afraid is that we have salvation in Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 2, Jesus tells a paralytic man to be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. You know, I think sometimes we forget that, but isn't that something to be cheerful about? 
Isn't that something to rejoice over? That our sins can be forgiven and washed away and that we can stand before the Lord clean, holy, and and without spot? Jesus offers to us salvation from the penalty of our sins and that is something that we can rejoice in. Luke Chapter 2, verse 10, a popular verse that we read, usually around December time frame. It says, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For, this, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He was born to you and me. He was born to us. Jesus was born for us. That We do not have to fear because Jesus did not come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. And so we can be of good cheer and not be afraid because we have salvation in Christ. A second reason I believe that we can be of good cheer and not be afraid is because not only do we have salvation in Christ, but we also have victory in Christ. John 16 verse 33 says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus Christ has overcome the world. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can be of good cheer knowing that we will be victorious. You know, in, in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15, the Spirit of the Lord spoke through a prophet to King Jehoshaphat. And you see, King Jehoshaphat, he was about to be invaded by great multitudes from the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir. And the prophet declared to King Jehoshaphat, Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours. The battle is God's. And He's already claimed victory for us. It was all taken care of on the cross when He cried, It is finished. Victory has been obtained and we walk and we go through life in victory. And so we don't have to be afraid when storms come. We can be of good cheer. When in the midst of storms, be of good cheer. Do not be afraid. We have salvation in Christ and we have victory that has already been won for us. Let's continue. Verse 28, we're going to look at Peter and how Peter responds here. I really like Peter. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat... The wind ceased. Oh, Peter. You know, Peter's very encouraging to me. I like reading accounts of Peter. Peter was a very bold and adventurous man. He's definitely the kind of guy who acts first and thinks later. 
Okay? Uh, many times it gets him into some trouble, but sometimes, sometimes he's able to do the impossible. You know, let's look at, at this situation with Peter. Peter was in, in the same boat with all these disciples. He too was probably freaked out, terrified. But when he saw Jesus and heard his words, something inside of him stirred him to do something unimaginable. Many would look at this portion of Scripture and think, man, Peter, what a failure. You blew it again. Not me. I look at this portion of Scripture and think, wow, what a great example for us. In the midst of the storm, we're gonna, I'm going to highlight just Look at what Peter did. We'll go real fast through this. Look at what Peter did. Okay? In the midst of the storm, what does he do? He calls out to Jesus in verse 28. That's what God desires for us as well. Okay, that we would look to Him, that we would seek Him when we're going through trials. We looked at this last week when Jesus exemplified this for us as well. We looked at how He wanted to get away and pray when we heard news about John the Baptist. And, and this verse, uh, I shared it with you last week. I want to share it with you again this morning. Psalm 18 verses 2 and 3 tells us that the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, I will call upon the Lord. And we see here Peter gives us a great example. And he follows the example of Jesus calling upon the Lord and going to the Lord in this storm. You know, the second thing that he does that I like is that Peter listens for God's instruction. You know, many times we pray and we might call out to the Lord, but we never take the time to hear God's answer. But Peter did. And, and when he did hear God answer, he trusted in God's word and he took a step of faith. You know, the, the purpose of, of trials is to make our faith stronger. And, and how can our faith be made stronger without actually exercising our faith? Okay? Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without faith it's impossible to please God. And so, man, Peter gives us a great example he trusted God's word and said, I'm going to take a step of faith then. I'm going for it. He said, come and I'm, I'm coming. Peter walks on water. Now, sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we just remember Peter saying, but do you know that he first walked on water? God did a miracle through Peter. No other man has ever walked on water besides Peter, I mean, and the Lord, okay, who was God. God can and will do the miraculous through us when we are willing to take steps of faith. Peter, his downfall is that he got his eyes off the Lord. He got his eyes off the Lord. He looked to the wind and the circumstances and, and Peter sank. He started to sink. You know, Satan will always try to do the same to us, to get us to get our eyes off of the Lord and to doubt His Word. Jesus said, come. But Peter, he looked and and started to doubt. And and as we take steps of faith, Satan will try and cast doubt. Did God really say to come out on the water, Peter? Look at the wind. Look at the waves. Man, you know, is He going to be able to, to, to sustain you? You know, He's been doing it ever since the beginning, right? With Eve, he said, did, did God really say to, you, you can't eat of that fruit? And did God really do that? You know, just doubt. 
And that's what happens. He, 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 he begins to doubt, and he looks, and he becomes fearful. And, and so we see lots of great examples, but I want to point this one, just this one thing, and make it my one main point for the life of Peter as we look at this. And it's more of an in general look at Peter. And I think that this is what we learn from Peter. That failure is not final. I had an English teacher, uh, Mrs. Stewart, uh, who used to have different sayings up on her wall. And I remember one very, very distinctly, and I've always kept it with me. Uh, And the, the sign basically said, It's better to try and fail than to fail to try. Sometimes we wouldn't write our essays and just, I'll just take, you know, and she's like, it's better to try, and I give you an F, because it was horrible, than to just fail to not even try. Give me an effort at least. It's better to, to try and fail than to fail to try. Charles Swindoll said this, Great accomplishments are often attempted, but only occasionally reach. Those who reach them are usually those who missed many times before. Failures are only temporary tests to prepare us for permanent triumphs. Our God is the God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and as many chances as we need. Psalm 37 verse 23 and 24 says, As the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way, and though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. As most of you know, Peter will go on and he'll make more mistakes. And God will still use him to save thousands. Failure is not final. He may have blown it. He may have stepped out and, and looked at the, the wind, but it wasn't final for him. So he continued to step out and continued to be used by God. I want to encourage you, if you found yourself maybe failing and falling on your face, taking a step of faith for the Lord, be encouraged and get back up. Verse 33, it, it says, Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. After Jesus and Peter returned to the boat, the wind had ceased and the waters were stilled. And those in the boat came and they worshipped Jesus. And remember that Jesus is training these guys. Okay? He's teaching them, pouring into them. Uh, he, was a, he was the one that sent them into this storm. Okay? And what was the purpose of sending them into the storm? As I mentioned before, it was to test them, to grow their face, faith, to grow their trust in the Lord. And you see, this wasn't the only time that the disciples had experienced some rough waters out on this very water, uh, body of water. Okay. Previously, in chapter 8 of the book of Matthew, the disciples were in a boat that was being tossed by the waves. And, and this time, Jesus was actually in the boat with them. And they came to Jesus and they exclaimed, Lord, save us! We're, we're perishing! We're, you know, we're all going to die! Basically, if you recall, Jesus was actually sleeping. He was taking a little siesta while they were all panicking and, and freaking out. And uh, they felt like they were going to die out on those waters. And Jesus asked them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Jesus then rebuked the winds and the seas, and a great calm came upon the waters. And the disciples in the boat, they declared something that I thought was Interesting in correlation to what they declared this time. They said this, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey Him? 
Fast forward to now. Jesus has performed numerous miracles and has been teaching a great deal of parables. And, and all the while, the, these disciples have been following them, Him and being poured into themselves. Jesus is ministering to them. And now it's time for pop quiz. This time He sends them out by themselves. And the disciples, we see that they're still not quite there yet. Okay? They freak out and they, and they panic. And Jesus is, has to come to rescue them once again. And, and one might think, that, you know, as we look at this from Jesus' point of view, we might think, man, they really haven't learned a thing this whole time. They're still freaked out and they're still panicking and, and, and fearful of their lives. But I see hope. Look at the response after the wind ceased the second time. Verse 33 says, Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped Him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. No longer is it, Who is this man? Now it's, You are the Son of God. And they worshipped Him. I see progress. They're learning. The purpose of the trial was to grow their faith and trust in Christ. And we see that although they didn't ace the test, there was progress. They are learning, they're growing, and God is working in them a great plan for their lives. And I think that's what God wants to see in our lives as well. He's looking for progress. This is going to test us. We're going to see, how you know, how are you doing now? Okay? He wants to see us grow in our faith. God has great plans for us, and we need to trust in Him. Psalm 139, verse 17 and 18 says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. And Jeremiah 29, 11 says that, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. God has a great plan for your life. Verse 34, When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret, and when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all that surrounding region and brought to him all who were sick and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Once they finally arrived in the land of Gennesaret, the men of that land recognized him, and they sent out for all who were sick, and they brought them to Jesus to be healed. The land of Gennesaret is actually situated in between the major cities of Tiberias and Capernaum on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. And although we don't have any other rec- recorded events in the scripture that inform us that Jesus had previously traveled to Gennesaret, somehow the people were able to recognize him. Okay? Perhaps he had traveled through there before and it's simply not recorded for us. Or perhaps word of mouth had spread into the land based upon the descriptions others had given of this man Jesus being followed around with 12 guys and the multitudes. Whatever the case, we can't say. What I would like to point out is, is, is the actions of the men from the land of Gennesaret. Note with me that the men had a desire to see people brought to Christ. They recognized him and immediately spread word to the people in all the surrounding regions and brought them out to Christ. And and as I consider their example, I can't help but see our need to do the same. That we ought to have a heart to see people brought to Christ. And that we should do whatever we can to bring people to Christ. Invite people to come to church. 
Invite people to come to your house. Share your life with them. Share your testimony with them. Bring them to Christ so that they can experience His touch in their life. As many as came to Christ, it tells us, and touched Him were made perfectly well. What a wonderful testimony of God's love and God's grace and mercy. All that were willing to reach out to Him were made perfectly well. Not just well, perfectly well. Lacking nothing. They were complete. Don't you want that for the people in your life that don't have Christ? That they would may be made whole by the Lord? That, that they would be made perfectly well, lacking nothing, complete in everything? I know that I want that, and I have a great many of loved ones that aren't walking with the Lord. And so I have a desire to see them brought to Christ. And I hope that we would have that same desire as these men from the land of Gennesaret. We'd look and we'd see Jesus and we'd do whatever we can to bring people to Christ. To have His touch be upon their lives that they might be made perfectly well, lacking nothing. Today, you know, we covered a lot of material. We looked at temptations and trials, how we're to handle both, how we're to flee temptation and and take the way of escape that the Lord provides. In trials, we're to trust God is going to use them to strengthen our faith and trust in His ways that are higher than ours. And we are to remember that Christ is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us as we go through these trials and we go through these storms. We are encouraged to be of good cheer. We have salvation and victory through Jesus Christ. We learned a a couple things from Peter as we looked at his example. But most of all, we noted that failure is not final. We saw the progress Jesus had made with his disciples and stated how he desires to see the same in us. And and lastly, we're encouraged to, to have a heart that wants to see people brought to Christ. I want to invite the worship team to come up and lead us in one last song. I just want to close in a word of prayer. And I want you to hopefully just think about what the Lord had for us. And I hope and pray that the Lord had something for you. I don't know where each and every one of you are at. Maybe some of you are in the midst of storm right now. And you need to take hold of those promises. Maybe some of us are just, we're looking just to, to, to grow in our faith, you know. To take steps of faith. To, to be willing to, to step out for the Lord, whatever it may be. I hope that we would be encouraged from today's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and I uh, just thank you, Lord, that you do send us through storms, and although we really don't like them when we go through them, uh, they're tough. Uh, Lord, we know that you use them for your glory and, and for our betterment, Lord, to make us stronger, to make our faith stronger in you, to make our dependence upon you greater. And so, Father, we cautiously welcome those into our life knowing that your ways are higher than our ways and that we can trust in you lord we want to just take rest and peace and knowing that we have been saved from our sins and we have victory through you and that you're interceding for us lord we thank you for those promises to us And I just pray that we would have your heart for the people as we're looking and seeing how you're pouring into these disciples and showing them uh, how to minister to people. Lord, that we would have that same heart of yours to minister to people, to bring people to you. 
Lord, we can't be the Holy Spirit. We can't save them. But we can, we can tell them about you. And we can invite them to come and meet with you. And so, Father, give us your heart. Give us your eyes. Use us and strengthen us for all that you have. We pray this in Jesus' name.